Hello. Uh, <clears throat> just showing off my birthday present here. Pew got it for me. See? Uh, she just saw the crow for the first time a couple weeks ago. Something like that. All right. I'm going to turn it down a little bit and uh, hopefully avoid a copyright strike. <clears throat> we shall see. Hopefully it's not too distracting. I'm going to go ahead and get to the reading. Oh, but there's words in this. Let me put on something else. One sec. Something, uh, I don't know. What's, what's, what's appropriate? You can't recite over words. Um, okay. There we go. That's much better. Okay, travels. In 1920, oh, by the way, this is part 18. If you want to start at the beginning, here's the link that'll take you to the playlist for, uh, what, are we, what are we doing? This, the black books, Jung's black books. My shirt's black today, too. First time I've ever worn this, just put it on. It, it arrived a little late, obviously. My birthday was... Uh, week and a half ago. Anyway, travels. In 1920, no editing. In 1920, he accompanied, this is a bit loud. All right. He accompanied his friend Herman Sig on a business trip to North Africa. His intention was, parentheses, to see for once the European from the outside. Reflected by a milieu which was foreign in every aspect. End quote. He held that the only way of gaining an understanding of one's own national particularities was through becoming aware of how others viewed them. Hence, now we have the internet, so we get a little bit of a better idea without having to leave, but still, it's, uh, it's good to leave. Anyway, um, hence traveling was the gateway to a comparative ethno-psychology. Given his understanding of the historical layering of the collective unconscious, his geographical voyages were a form of phylogenic time traveling. Africa made an overpoweringly deep impression on him. It meant encountering the historical past as a living present. Rude to Emile Med Medner, he wrote in March, quote, The most mysterious here are the nights of the waxing moon that wanders in indescribably silver clarity across the dark clear sky of Africa, the symbol of the Punic tombs of Carthage. Astarte herself came close to me. Astarte, Astarte. I'm pretty sure she's not North African. Correct me if I'm wrong. Comment below. 
when I saw the moon slowly descend over the tops of the palm trees for the first time, I came here according oh, period. I came here according to the inner according to inner necessity, already prepared by the unconscious, a symbolic act of the grandest scale. Nevertheless, the meaning is still dark. Uh, Jung felt that the people he encountered had an intensity that Europeans lacked and which he believed himself to be psychically infected by. While in Tunis, he had a powerful dream. Here's the dream. <clears throat> the night before we embarked for Marseille, I had a dream which I sensed summed up the whole experience. This was just as it should be, for I had accustomed myself to living always on two planes simultaneously, one conscious, which attempted to understand and could not, and one unconscious, which wanted to express something and could not formulate it any better than by a dream. I dreamt that I was in an Arab city, and as in most such sites, there was a citadel, a casbah. That no editing. I was gonna. I'm, when I do Buddhist books, sometimes I like pause and look at the camera, and that was an old habit. I was gonna play rock the casbah. You know. Anyway. Okay. <clears throat> Where are we? The casbah. The city was situated in a broad plain and had a wall all around it. The shape of the wall was square, and there were four gates. The casbah in the interior of the city was surrounded by a wide moat, which is not the way it really is in Arab countries. Right. Yeah, I had a dream about Shanghai that wasn't quite what Shanghai was like either. But, I mean, I had the dream before I went. And then I went. Anyway, I stood before a wooden bridge leading over the water to a dark horseshoe-shaped portal, which was open. <clears throat> Eager to see the citadel from the inside also, I stepped out on the bridge. When I was about halfway across it, a handsome, dark Arab of aristocratic, almost royal bearing came toward me from the gate. I knew that this youth in the white burnous was the resident prince of the citadel. By the way, this just reminded me, I was going for a walk this morning here in Majorda, South Goa, India, and uh, I was feeling kind of down, and I was like looking, I was actually thinking of uh, one of the rules for monks is when you're walking, you look down at the ground in front of you. It's sort of uh, like Cain in uh, Kung Fu before he met the wild-eyed guy who gave him that sun necklace when uh, his master, I forget his name, uh, his name uh, told him, uh, the wise man keeps his eyes downward, humble. So in, uh, in, in ancient times, the group of six monks were walking around, looking around side to side, looking at people, and... Uh, Lord Buddha said, don't, don't do that. Keep your eyes the length of a plow in front of you um, on the ground. 
So I was doing that while I was walking. And a woman in a burqa was like, hi, hi, hi. And I, I could only see the eyes, black here, black here. And I was like, hi. And I was like, wow, that's nice. This random person just apparently saw that I wasn't feeling so great and decided to cheer me up saying hello. What a trip. And then just now, about a half an hour ago, I went down to the local grocery store and uh, into the, the vegetable area where there's uh, this woman there without a burqa. And it turned out it was her. She was like, did you see me walking this morning? And I was like, oh, I didn't recognize you because I could only see your eyes. So that, that tells you a number of things. Apparently, you can't wear your burqa at work when you work at Oscar's grocery store. Anyway, um, where was I? Uh, all right, uh, is about halfway across it? A handsome yes, we already read that. When he came up to me, he attacked me. I had a dream before uh, coming to India I was planning to come to Nepal and India, and I didn't know. I knew that I was going to settle somewhere over here, somewhere in Asia. I didn't know if it was going to be Tibet or Nepal or India. I just was determined not to go back. And uh, <clears throat> I had a dream, and it was a desert, and there was like an old-timey, uh, I don't know, I don't know, it was like a, it wasn't a village, it wasn't a city, it wasn't a building. It was several buildings. It was had had a fence around it. Uh, several old like wooden buildings and there were stairs and there were upstairs and balconies and different things. But then there was like the fence and I got tired of the crowd. So I went outside the fence to walk around the outside of this little mini whatever it was. And uh, a naked man with cuts all over his body, little X's, came up beside me, smiling, holding up a razor blade. <laughs> and like, you know, my immediate thought was, oh, every time he kills someone, he cuts himself. And uh, yeah, I managed to get away from him in the dream. But yeah, my, my subconscious, I think, was a little nervous. But as you can see from how I appear, <clears throat> the fact that I have all these books, most of which, if not all of which, most of which I bought here. Um, and uh, yeah, except for the Shakespeare, these, these are my, these belonged to my mother's mother's father's mother or father and maybe their parents, I don't know. So they're at least, at least, 110, 120 years old. They don't have dates in them. That's how, like, back before books thought, hey, maybe we should put the date this year in it. They didn't do that. So these are the complete works of Shakespeare. And uh, <clears throat> this uh, Secret of the Golden Flower? Yeah. The books that are burned on one side, I've had since at least August 8th of 1998, obviously before that, because that was the morning of the fire, and a lot of books got charred in that incident, and anyway, I'll, I'll keep reading, but yeah, some of these books are, and then these I wrote. Oh, and you can see Sonnet 1 today, you couldn't see it when I was pointing at it the other day. Okay, so... Uh, 
I'll go ahead and keep reading, shall I? Yeah, some of these these occult books I brought with me. I uh, I sent pictures to Pew and was like, let me know which books I should bring. And she was, she was picked, not not really knowing <clears throat> the context. She chose 777, Secret Teachings of All Ages. Although I think I... No, Robbie sent me one of these. And uh, the new astrology. It's a little bit yellowing. Oh, yeah, this is... This is kind of special. My dad bought me this book when I was like, I don't know, eight, something like that. The Anti-Gravity Handbook. I was into anti-gravity after seeing Back to the Future 2 because I wanted to make the hoverboard as depicted in Back to the Future 2 into a reality. So I became obsessed with uh, anti-gravity. But anyway, all right, um, sorry for the interruption. <clears throat> I'll get back to it. Oh, and these Ibn Arabi, Ibn al-Arabi, uh, I brought with me from California. But most of these books, oh, and Kess gave me, oh no, I ordered these. I think these were delivered here in India. Um, Kess's books. But yeah, anyway, it's not so much like that dream, is my point. It's, uh, it's more like this. <clears throat> and it is different from California, but not as different as my subconscious was. I always tell people, you know, it's not like it is in the illustrations in the Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> Although you can probably find some areas that do look a bit like that. Um, anyway, where was I? He attacked me, right, and tried to knock me down. We wrestled. In the struggle, we crashed against the railing. It gave way, and both of us fell into the moat, where he tried to push my head under water to drown me. No, I thought, this is going too far. And in my turn, I pushed his head under water. I did so, although I felt great admiration for him. It reminds me a bit of uh, King Louis and... Uh, What's his name? Saladin, writing these like very civilized letters back and forth while the crusade and the, you know, um, probably this video will be uh, flagged if I use the Arab word for holy war, which, oh yeah, jihad. <laughs> there it is. Okay, <clears throat> we're going on against each other. They're like, how's your wife? How are your kids? Oh, I hope everything's doing well. Um, yeah, we're claiming it for Christianity. Uh, you know, you understand because Jesus and everything and Saladin's like, oh, you know, they're doing well. I hope your family's doing well and best wishes to you and God bless you. And uh, yeah, no, no, the Dome of the Rock, uh, it's too holy, so we can't let you have it. So uh, I guess we're going to keep having this war. Kisses, toodaloo, you know, like kings, kings and their chess games, right? Anyway, um, yes, great admiration. But I did not want to let myself be killed, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I had no intention of killing him. I only wanted to make him unconscious and incapable of fighting. <clears throat> then the scene of the dream changed, and he was with me in a large vaulted octagonal room in the center of the citadel. The room was all white, very plain and beautiful. 
Along the light-colored marble walls stood low divans, and before me on the floor lay an open book with black letters written in magnificent calligraphy on milky-white parchment. It was not Arabic script. Rather, it looked to me like the Eugurian script of West Turkestan, which was familiar to me from the Manichaean fragments from Turfan. Not familiar to me, just for the record. I did not know the contents, but nevertheless, I had the feeling that this was, quote, my book. Cool. Uh, that I had written. Has anybody translated uh, Liber Novus into the Igurian script of West Turkestan? Comment below. I did not know it's, yes, my book, that I had written, that I had written it. <clears throat> The young prince with whom I had just been wrestling sat to the right of me on the floor. I explained to him that now that I had overcome him, he must read the book, but he resisted. I placed my arm around his shoulders and forced him with a sort of paternal kindness and patience to read the book. It reminds me of that scene from uh, They Live with the, with the fight that goes on for like 10 minutes and then... Uh, What's his name? Puts the, the the sunglasses on the other guy. <clears throat> right. I knew that this was absolutely essential, and at last he yielded. Right. Shades of uh, Lawrence of Arabia here. Hmm. The yielding. I mean, I'm talking about butt sex. Just in case you were wondering. In retrospect, I mean. Not in Jung's case, I assume, but in obviously Lawrence of Arabia's case. Right? In retrospect, Jung reflected as follows on this dream. In this dream, with all respect, of course, I'm not denigrating butt sex, I'm just saying that Lawrence of Arabia probably liked to have it with Arab boys when he was never mind, I'll just I'll just keep reading, shall I? <clears throat> I'm not the only one who says that. I mean, you know, it's, if you weren't familiar, it's a thing. Yeah. All right, anyway, in his dream, the Arab youth was the double of the proud Arab who had ridden past us without a greeting. As an inhabitant of the Kasbah, he was a figuration of the self, or rather a messenger or emissary of the self. For the Kasbah, from which he came was a perfect mandala, a citadel surrounded by a square wall with four gates. His attempt to kill me was an echo of the motif of Jacob's struggle with Oriel. Just kidding, he wrote the angel, but you know what I mean. <clears throat> Fine, you're Israel, Jesus said the angel eventually. Anyway, um, he was to use the language of the Bible like an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God with a capital G, finally in its appropriate uh, usage, who wished to kill men because he did not know them. What? Like an angel of 
the Lord, a messenger of God who wished to kill men because he did not know them. Well, those are the words on the page. I'll keep reading. Um, actually, the angel ought to have, have had his dwelling in me. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he knew only angelic truth and understood nothing about butt sex. No, 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 nothing about man. Therefore, he came forward as my enemy. However, I held my own against him. <laughs> um, in the second part of the dream, I was the master of the citadel. He sat at my feet and had to learn to understand my thoughts, or rather, learn to know man. Obviously, my encounter with Arab culture had struck me with overwhelming force. Wow. Didn't know this one was going to be um, PG-13. <laughs> Can you say butt sex in PG-13? Well, anyway. Um, I'll read a little more, otherwise this is going to be, like, shockingly short. Encountering Wotan. Let's see if I can do this with my eyes. I don't know. Some days they're better than others. Is that normal? The dream continued to echo for Jung, and two years after his return to Europe, he would encounter the figure again in a fantasy of January 6, 1922. His soul saw and described the figure and informed his I, that the figure was a god and that he would hear from him again. Um, when I did DMT, uh, I've mentioned it before, just not on chicken philosophy, the fourth time I did it. I, was it the fourth time? It might have been, around then. Um, there was always this like Pomander Hermes kind of thing happening where... Um, the palm trees that I used to take pictures of in front of my house. Um, ah, hell with it. Sorry, Editor Edward, just this one thing. Show them the palm trees. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the palm trees. Um, what was I saying? Right. They would not talk to me, but talk to me, you know. They were moving, obviously, a little, but... It was more like they, I was like suddenly aware that they were there and that they were like beings, you know, not, uh, not like brain conscious beings, but beings and that they were kind of able to experience themselves through me. And, uh, but beyond that, there was just this, all this, the, the other, the thing that's not me what you might call God, maybe, or the universe, nature, uh, maybe, I don't know, depends on your definition of God, I guess, but um, I got a sense that it was telling me in India, people know how to be human properly, or in India, they know how to be human properly, so right after that, I uh, got into yoga and zazen meditation and started becoming more and more into the idea of relocating to India. And that was 
probably December-ish of 2011. It took me a while. It took me six years. That didn't take me that long. Well, it took me uh, it took October 2011. Yeah, a little over six years to get here after that. <clears throat> anyway. And uh, Pew reminds me about that whenever I'm dis misbehaving, whenever I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. She's like, you remember why you came to India? You remember? To learn how to be human properly? Yeah. Humans wear slippers in the bathroom. You know, like that kind of thing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, his eye was a figure that God would hear from him again. What? His soul saw and described the figure and informed his eye that, fig that the figure was a god and that he would hear from him again. The god needed to hear from him as otherwise they both couldn't live. His soul informed his eye that he would reach the god again through solitude coupled with reverence for the sun, moon, and earth which stood for the masculine, the feminine, and the body, respectively. Unless you ask, like, the Norse or the Japanese, then uh, some of those roles are a little bit switched around. Anyway. <clears throat> a year later, when Jung's son, by the way, if you didn't know, one thing that sucks, one of many, <clears throat> I'll list them. Here's a few things that suck. When you Google Black Friday, you don't find out about October 13th, 1307. When you Google um, ISIS, you're more likely to hear about a terrorist organization than a goddess. And uh, when you Google Sana, you find out about uh, one of the two main branches of Islam rather than the ancient Nordic goddess for whom the sun was named. She was a vulva, not a vulva. Get your mind out of the gutter, a vulva. There's a difference. One is a healer, and the other is the opening. That You know what a vulva is. The point being, um, she's a, a healer goddess who rides in a chariot of fire, and she rides across the southern sky because they were so damn far north. Those, those Nordics that, uh, yeah, in winter sometimes they couldn't see her at all. And uh, in the summertime, she was there a little more often. And when you could, you could see her flying her chariot behind the clouds, people would, would heal from various maladies they had because it wasn't so damn cold like a little bit warm so that's how they perceive the sun not as a masculine father but as a healing sort of mothery mothery goddess driving a chariot now you know you can google sunna goddess s-u-n-n-a goddess or sunna nordic goddess or sunna norse goddess for more information about her and uh, while you're at it if you're not familiar you can Google Amaterasu. And then once you feel very like, wow, Amaterasu, what a holy thing, then Google Amaterasu Dotson. And then uh, and prepare, prepare for a downer. 
Anyway, it's the this circle. Never mind. I'll just keep reading. Um, where was I? Right. Ah, uh, heck. I'm gonna go ahead and close. Uh, so I, I, I finished the first paragraph of encountering Wotan, and unless I'm confused, we have not yet encountered Wotan, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and uh, you heard, you already heard the, uh, the Cure song, so those of you who are my age, and more or less my demographic will already know what I'm about to pull up. They keep calling me, they keep calling me, just like that. Did I tell you that the internet here is really good?